0: Welcome to the Herbal Womb Wisdom Podcast, where we explore the embodied practice of herbalism with the womb at the center, for folks who are new to herbs or herbalists in the making. This is a place to become empowered to include herbs and natural therapies in your personal health, and most importantly, to reconnect the deep wisdom and healing capacity of your own body and the earth. I'm your host, clinical herbalist and integrative health educator, Kailea Honeybee. Let's dive in. Hi, beautiful friends. Welcome back. Wow, it is a spring day today. Like, it has finally turned to spring here in the Wabanaki lands of Maine, and it is very exciting. It's, like, actually warm outside, and there's sun, and I was, I felt hot on my walk today that I just got back from, and I have the window open, so you may even hear birds chirping or the wind in the trees, and that is just exciting. It's been a long winter, and I'm so curious what it's like near you, what you're feeling if you're noticing the springtime, and maybe you're seeing flowers, and maybe you're seeing birds coming back, or maybe you're in the southern hemisphere, and you're starting to experience fall, and so really experiencing that release time. Wherever you are, just know that you're welcome, and I'm just really excited for this episode. This topic is Something that, honestly, I was planning on a completely different topic for this week, but I got really inspired over the weekend learning about polyvagal theory. I've been thinking, obviously, about the vagus nerve for many years. Actually, when I was in body work school, it's funny because when I was in bodywork school back in 2007 is when I started learning about the vagus nerve, and we actually had a hold that we did on the neck, and it was kind of like behind the ears on the neck, that we did that was considered to be like the vagal hold or the vagus hold. And it was basically a calming, it was something we started and often ended the treatments with. So it's something that I have had in my mind (laughs) for a long, long time now. Gosh, how many years ago is that? 16 years ago that I did my bodywork training. So it's not something that's totally new to me. And obviously the past, I don't know, few years at least, The vagus nerve has been up in the trending topics that are found on social media and with influencers and between people like Wim Hof kind of popularizing it, all of his techniques and practices that are encouraging vagal tone, which you may have heard of. There's breathing techniques that he suggests and there's cold water plunging and then the whole trend of like the ice bathing and the cold water plunges that people have been doing. More recently, I feel like that's been in the past couple... I mean, people have been doing that forever. It's been a tradition in lots of Scandinavian countries and in Russia. I know that that's kind of been a thing (laughs) for a long time, but it's become a popularized concept in the past couple of years, I feel like, especially with the onset of social media. It's just pretty wild what can happen and all the the viral nature of it all, you know? And so what I'm excited to share about today is this topic that I don't think I've heard a lot about. I don't think I've heard many people kind of connecting the vagus nerve to our sexual arousal or to our pelvic organs and really exploring that concept, exploring the details of it. So that's what I'm going to do today. We're going to dive into understanding the vagus nerve and the nervous system and why it matters to us. And then we're going to talk about kind of the anatomy and like how the nerve connects to our pelvic organs and some of the studies and the research around how they've found that that's true, because it's really something that's always evolving. Let's be real It's not like I just know everything. Yes, I spend a bunch of time researching and looking into the scientific studies because I don't want to just perpetuate myths that I hear on the Internet. Like, that's not my style. I've heard from some influencers and I've also heard from other folks on social media that the vagus nerve ends at the cervix. And I just don't feel comfortable embracing that knowledge unless i look into it and i really because i have not learned that in my own studies so it was something that i needed to look into myself and really get clear on like how is that true and how do we know that it's true and of course research is ever evolving i mean even Anatomy and physiology w- research is ever evolving, like understanding how everything works together. So actually, like the science of arousal and the science of the nervous system relationship to the different pelvic organs is continuing to come to light. There's a there's always more unfolding. One of the things that is interesting to consider, though, is that for a long time, there was kind of this common thought that we didn't have nerve endings or we couldn't feel our cervix, our actual cervix. And so doctors were basically taught that they didn't have to worry about us having feeling, you know, when we're having certain procedures done on our cervix that may happen with, say, an abnormal pap smear. Now it's been found over time, maybe there's not the sensation of pain, but there's absolutely the sensation of pressure or of feeling the cervix. It is a different kind of feeling, but our cervix is also, that's the place that opens up. We're birthing a babe. That's the place that our cervical fluid, our fertile cervical fluid comes out of. That's where the Unfertilized egg comes through after ovulation. And that is also where our menstruation happens. It's that bottom third of the uterus. It's kind of the neck of the uterus, the lower neck of the uterus that has a hole that's an opening to our uterus. And it's also a place that we check. If you're practicing fertility awareness and you're practicing with all three of the signs, you might check to see your location. And of the cervix, right? You're going to see whether it's open or closed. You're going to see whether it's lower or it's higher. And you can either check that by feeling, or you can even use a speculum and check your cervix yourself. Anyway, we're not going to get all into the cervix at this point, but if you are interested in tracking your cycle naturally, I do have a free guide for you. If you don't already have it, it's at herbalwomb.com forward slash track your cycle. You can learn fertility awareness and you can learn to understand where your cervix even is. Even if you don't want to track your cycle, you can get that and you can kind of I give I run through, you know, like, how would you actually feel your cervix? And there's different positions you can get into that are a little bit easier. Okay. All of that said, for a long time, there was a perception that there was no nerve endings on the cervix. Now, why the medical professional makes these kinds of assumptions is always beyond me. Like, this is a part of our body. Why would we not have nerve endings there? No, maybe we're not feeling pain, but there's certainly, like, the sensation of pressure or of vibration or of certain, you know, experiences that we might have. All that said, there's always more that's being learned. And thankfully, there are people out there. There are researchers out there who are continuing to learn this. Of course, we also have our traditions of wisdom that come from different places. And those are equally as valid. Those are equally as valid. So of course, we have like our blood mysteries and we have our relationship to our wombs and we have our relationship to our yonis, however you want to describe this place that is so sacred in our bodies. But today, we're going to be talking more from a physiologic and anatomical perspective. Okay, so disclaimer, nothing I share today is medical advice whatsoever. I'm an herbalist. I'm an integrative health educator. I have done a lot of research, and I'm excited to share it with you, but everything is just for your own information and education for you to take as you will, to feel into what feels right and true for you, and to explore more deeply you know research more on your own if you feel resonant with anything and if you have any specific conditions it's a great idea to work with a practitioner of some kind to help you okay so let's get into it how does the vagus nerve affect your sexual arousal and your pelvic organs and vice versa That's the reality. That's what we're talking about today because actually it's a bi-directional relationship. It's not just your vagus nerve and your breathing that affects relaxation and the release and the arousal, but it's also your organs have a bi-directional relationship. They can actually impact your brain and this can happen through the vagus nerve. So. Excited to share with you. If you do want to get any of the references, I did look into scientific journals and scientific research this week and also have a few extra resources, a podcast episode and a book if you're interested. You can check those out on the show notes page, which will be at herbalwomb.com forward slash episode 64. Herbalwomb.com forward slash episode 64. All right. So as I said before, the vagus nerve has been quite the buzzword the past few years. I'm sure that you've heard about it. I'm sure that you've heard about the parasympathetic nervous system as well. Certainly, if you've listened to this podcast for more than just this episode, you've probably heard about it. But I also believe that it's just something that's up in the world, especially with the rise of like CBD and cannabis and people talking about kind of activating the parasympathetic nervous system for calming our bodies because we're in chronic stress mode like pretty much all of the time. So between Wim Hof's methods, like I said before, of the vagal tone stimulation and the cold plunges that have gotten so popularized – The vagus nerve is basically a celebrity. (laughs) It's like a celebrity anatomical structure inside our bodies that a lot of people know about and talk about. And it's there's probably a hashtag. I would assume there's many hashtags that relate to the vagus nerve and vagal tone. And maybe you've even used them before. So there's a good reason for that. There's a really good reason because the vagus nerve is a significant part of your parasympathetic nervous system. It makes up about 80% of the parasympathetic nervous system. So that's not the entire parasympathetic nervous system. There's other nerves as well that are parasympathetic, but it is the the bulk of it and – there's also a lot of ways that we actually can interact with it where we can't necessarily interact with other parts of our parasympathetic nervous system. But there are ways that we can enhance and increase the vagal tone, which will then enhance our parasympathetic nervous system response. And there is, there are ways to do that that are some that are better than others. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. Some you might need to be a little bit more careful with that may surprise you. But before we dive more deeply into the parasympathetic nervous system, I just want to do an overall let's go back, let's kind of widen our view and think about the nervous system overall. So to begin, there are different parts of our nervous system. There's the central nervous system, which consists of the brain and the spinal cord. And then we have the peripheral nervous system, which is kind of all the nerves that extend and stretch throughout the rest of our body. So the brain and the spinal cord are very central. And then there's all, all the periphery, right? And so in the peripheral nervous system, which kind of extends everywhere in the body, there is there are two different parts of that. There's the somatic nervous system, which is also considered to be the voluntary nervous system. And that's the part where like you think of moving your hand and you can move your hand, you know, like there's all this ability you can feel and touch and, you know, you can have a sensation of, of texture and movement. That's your somatic or voluntary nervous system. You can make choices to use it. And then there's the autonomic. The other part is the autonomic nervous system which is also kind of like automatic functions, right? Digestion, breathing, heart rate, and all of the other functions that are happening in different parts of your body, kind of like helping to do those things that need to be done. So that is the autonomic nervous system, right? The automatic nervous system. Within the autonomic nervous system, so we're like going down, right? Like there's these different... Delineations within the autonomic nervous system that is made up of both the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. Those are two different things. So the sympathetic nervous system is what gets activated. That's like the adrenaline response. That's like when you have a fear or a fight or a flight response to something, you get spooked, you feel stressed, especially if it's an acute stressor that's happening in the moment, you're having a response to that. It's kind of the fight, flight, fawn, freeze, survival, stress, activation. And there's a healthy element to the sympathetic nervous system. The It is actually necessary for daily life, We want the sympathetic nervous system to be a part of our reality. It helps us to produce the cortisol that we need to like wake up in the morning and to get through our day and gives us drive and energy and um, supports our circadian rhythm. But many of us are stuck in a chronic stress state, which is where things go wonky. That is where often our hormones end up being impacted. And it's what I talk about all the time, how stress is really messing with these many different Functions of our body, whether that is like ovarian function or that's thyroid function or that is, you know, mood or that is digestion, like it can really mess with like all these different things in our bodies. So that's where we often focus. We're often like, ooh, we want to tame the sympathetic nervous system response because we live in a stressful world that is just constantly providing more and more (laughs) fodder for our stress response. However, There is, like, I just really want to make it clear that there is some health to this system. Like, we need it, we want it, not only because it will help us if we're in danger, but also because there are ways that it is helpful for us, even in our arousal process, which I will share a little bit about later. So, the other part is the parasympathetic, right? And so, the parasympathetic nervous system is the relaxation response, it's the rest, the digest, the restore. The relax. I even consider it the reproduce because it's where you're going to actually feel like you're safe enough. It's a safety response, right? Like you're feeling safe and like it's a reasonable idea to kind of get your connection on with other people, whether that is friends and maybe you feel interested in play or in just like hanging out and connecting and feeling good Or that might be sensually and sexually with a partner or with a new person and just like feeling that safety to enjoy that, to really experience the beauty of arousal and allow yourself to kind of drop into that place. So the parasympathetic nervous system response can help us to really do the things like digest our food and to rest and to relax and restore Right. So it's something that is really helpful for us to support in our lives. And the vagus nerve is a huge part of that. So as I mentioned, it is a cranial nerve. It comes out of the brain and then it extends kind of down, connects with many organs in our viscera, in our abdomen. And it conveys information from the brain to the heart, to the bronchi, you know, and your respiration and to the gut and to your pelvis. So actually, our heart rate and our respiratory rate and the gut motility, like the movement of things through our gut, are all specifically very relevant to our vagal tone, which can be actually measured. With something called heart rate variability. Well, that is probably one of the best studied ways to measure vagal tone is with heart rate variability. And part of that is because when there is increased or better vagal tone, when you have more of a parasympathetic response happening and specifically the vagus nerve, then you're going to have more heart rate variability. And what I mean by that is actually the time in between heartbeats. So it's going to be variable. Like, not the same every single time. When it's the same every single time, it's like when I talk about with the dynamic dance of hormones, it's the same thing with our heart rate. Like We actually really, really be kind of moving around because that is actually a good indicator or has been shown to be a good indicator, not only of vagal tone, but also of health in general. And this is one of the things that's really interesting. Heart rate variabilities may be something that you've already heard about. I'm going to talk a little bit more about how to measure it later. But for now, you can just consider that that's one of the ways that you can really understand how your vagal tone is. And I should say that it's the heart rate variability at rest. So it's when you're at rest, when you're sitting or you're laying down or especially when you're sleeping, the heart rate variability there. Now, when you're active, like when you're actually up doing exercise your heart rate will have more of that sympathetic response and you will definitely have more of a consistent, and that's a good thing because your body needs that to keep up the activity that you're doing. But when you're at rest, that's the really ideal time to see the heart rate variability. And you can measure it throughout the day. And there's a bunch of different wearable devices, which I will talk about later, that can be helpful to measure that. Okay, so essentially, when we're talking about the vagus nerve, we're talking about the parasympathetic nervous system and we're talking about activating it. What's interesting is that a lot of us are focusing on toning our vagus nerve, like we have like complete control over it. But the reality is, is that I think it's around 80% of the vagus nerve is, being, is responding to, like it's an, it's actually what is called afferent, meaning that it is receiving signals and information from your different organs and your different viscera, like all around your body. And it is sending that back to the brain. So that 20%. That's actually efferent, meaning that it's the brain kind of sending signals to your body to tell it's like that it's safe is a much smaller part of that. So this is why your body can end up feeling stressed by things, especially in your gut. Like, let's say you're eating things that are causing inflammation because you have sensitivities to them that can cause excess stress. That can be there can be a stress response where your body maybe your vagus nerve is sensing oh this is not safe this is not safe we're in danger and so I should not be relaxed right now right so that's constantly sensing it's constantly sensing it's beautiful kind of process that the that Stephen Porges who's the father of polyvagal theory calls actually neuroception he talks about as the detection of risk or danger. In our environment or inside our bodies, right? It's not cognition. It's not cognitive. It's not like a conscious awareness, but it is a perception that's internal. And it's evaluating risk. And it might be saying, oh, something not good is happening. So this is also something I think that I like to call interoception or recently it's become a little bit more of a word that's been used, especially in kind of gut health and the world of the gut brain connection, the concept of interoception. And I feel like that's very similar to neuroception. It's like, oh, that's our nervous system that is internally becoming aware of whether there's danger or there's risk or there's discomfort or whatever that is. So the vagus nerve has a lot to do with this. It's really cool to learn and to realize, okay, we can kind of put the pieces together. However, so I'm talking about, okay, that's the afferent nerves. And then there's the efferent nerves, meaning the part that is coming from our brain and is kind of helping to tell our body, oh, we are safe. And so we do have control over some of those things. And that's very powerful. It's very powerful for us to have a capacity to do certain practices that can help to enhance our sense of safety, ideally not by overriding, you know, real survival instincts that we need. I mean, sometimes we really don't want to override things and pretend we're safe when we're not (laughs) or that we're not stressed when we are, you know, like, yes, of course we can do practices. But what would be better is to get out of a situation or to take certain – like I've talked about before, if you have too many things on your plate that are just causing intense acute stress or continued chronic stress, you might have to take some of the things off of your plate in order to – then not have that constant stress. Of course, there are ways, there are things you can do. You can do deep breathing. You can do some of these practices that will help to enhance your vagal nerve tone and your parasympathetic nervous system. But is that going to get to the root of your issue? Probably not. So really, yes, we're talking about these things and it's really important for us to be able to support our stress response and our calming down and our relaxation, because a lot of us have a hard time with that. But we also have to realize that it's not the entire answer. Just learning how to kind of navigate our nervous system is not necessarily going to be the entire answer to all of our woes in our lives. So by activating the vagal tone, we can actually affect our breathing, our rate of breathing, our depth of breathing, and that impacts our sense of safety. We can impact our heart rate. We can actually impact our heart rate. We can impact our relaxation response, our state of receptivity for sexual desire and arousal, and our interest in connection with other people or animals or nature, or actually our interest in play as well. So all of these things come alive when we have more of a parasympathetic nervous system response. And of course, this helps us to sleep better. It helps us to digest better. And it helps all of our visceral, meaning abdominal, and honestly, also our chest organs. So whether that is your heart, that's your lungs, that's literally all of your digestive organs, your liver, your pancreas, your intestines, your kidneys, and then down into your pelvis, your uterus, and your ovaries, so important for us, your bladder, your rectum, your sigmoid colon, your rectum. I mean, like literally all of our organs are impacted by our parasympathetic nervous system response and vagal tone is a part of that. So we can be more optimally well when we have better vagal tone in general. Now, it does feel really important for me to mention something that I don't think we hear enough about actually, that vagal tone can be too much. It can be hyperactivated in some people. So there's something you might have heard of before that's called the vasovagal response or the vasovagal syncope. And that is actually when somebody either faints or gets close to fainting in a situation that their body basically feels like it can't handle. <laughs> so that can sometimes happen when somebody gives blood. That can happen. It can happen when they're coming up you know, out from anesthesia when they stand up, like it can happen for a lot of different reasons, but it's basically the body just feeling like it is not able to respond and it basically freaks out. And what Stephen Porges, who I actually listened to a podcast episode with him uh, this past weekend, and I will link that on the show notes page again, herbalwomb.com forward slash episode 64 so that you can listen to it. But he is the father of, of the polyvagal theory. He started thinking about this, I think, in the 90s, maybe the early 90s. And it's become much more popularized now. So what? It's like 25 years later. But he talks about this as kind of a trauma response. It's a trauma response or it's maybe dissociation. And it's what he calls feigning death. So this level of vagal response can actually be more like a defense mechanism in the face of danger. So your body thinks that something's so dangerous that it's just going to pretend it's dead <laughs> or just faint, like dissociate completely, and potentially you're going to go unconscious. And so I've actually seen this happen before with some folks, and it's it's an interesting thing. It's not like they're actually necessarily afraid of what's happening In their cognitive brain but somehow their body experiences some kind of like trauma response or dissociation that may have to do with something that happened in utero it may have to do with something that happened in childhood or maybe it's just something that occurs for them but this is the part of the vagal nerve that like we don't necessarily want to be encouraging (laughs) because it goes too far right it's a dissociative response And another example of the vagal response going too far is actually when somebody has like uncontrollable diarrhea or like having to run to the bathroom in a stressful situation or a state of anxiety in some way, the vagal response just becomes very intense and the gut motility just goes crazy and then you have to run to the bathroom and you're basically – if you don't find the bathroom, there could be an issue. So – that is something that could also be considered to be kind of a trauma response or a dissociative response, just like too much vagal tone happening there. And then something like apnea, meaning stopping breathing, or bradycardia, meaning too low of a heart rate, those can also be examples of too high of vagal tone. They can happen for other reasons as well, but these are things that too high of a vagal tone can also cause. And obviously you don't want to go too far in this way. Too much vagal response, too much vagal tone is too much. They are significant. They are not helpful for us, right? But what's interesting is that Stephen Porges actually talks about how there are different parts of our vagus nerve. And there's what's called the myelinated part that relates more to our throat and to our vocalization and to kind of like our mouth and our ears. So kind of like the upper part of the vagus nerve that we have a lot of control over. And that's really helpful for activating parasympathetic response in a healthy way. So that is the area that we're going to want to focus on. Really, it's just important for us to think about how we want to have that dynamic dance between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system where one is sometimes dominant and then the other one might be dominant at certain times and there's just like a healthy relationship that they have with each other. We don't want one to be on all of the time or on too much because we want to be able to sustain activity in our lives, right? We don't want to just be like stuck on the ground, not being able to move because our body is feigning death (laughs) or we like can't hold our poop inside our bodies. And we don't want to be like hyper stressed and in a fight or flight response constantly either. So we want to have that dynamic relationship between the two. Okay, so before we go into how to tone and stimulate your vagus nerve most effectively in that area that we that it feels most beneficial, and that is kind of like in quotes, the good area of the (laughs) vagus nerve to really work on. Let's first talk about its relationship, the vagus nerve's relationship to our pelvic organs and to our sexual arousal in a little bit more detail. So like I said before, the vagus nerve runs from the brainstem all the way to the base of the spinal column, where it breaks off into nerves that run into the pelvis. So there's kind of the extension of nerves that run into the pelvis. And it there are bi-directional relationships between the cervix and the uterus and the ovaries with the vagus nerve that communicates with the brain and then the brain communicates with the cervix and the uterus and the ovaries through the vagus nerve depending on what's going on so the vagus nerve actually has a significant role in uterine blood flow and the contraction of the uterus as well as potentially ovarian function so there's a lot of interplay here right like depending on whether we're feeling relaxed, whether we're feeling like we're safe, that can totally impact the way that our uterus is contracting or that our blood is flowing into the uterus or that our ovaries are functioning like that, whether they are healthy or not, or doing the work that they need to do. The vagus nerve has a relationship to that. And also it's bidirectional, right? So if something is going on, in the uterus or if something is going on in the pelvic cavity in some way or in the ovaries, that might go back to our brain and basically tell the brain that, oh, this is not okay. We're not safe for some reason. So it's interesting, right? Because the vagus nerve has so much to do with our experience of safety or our experience of relaxation. And so when we think about how we hold a lot of trauma in our pelvic area, who knows whether this might be one of the ways that trauma responses occur and that we end up having maybe more dissociative responses or we have ways that we our blood flow is blocked or that we have more pain i mean this is just all kind of theory and ideas but it's interesting to think that there might be some kind of like you know some kind of relationship that is happening here through this particular nerve this Kind of thread of communication. When you think about nerves, they are just so cool. There are these electrical signaling structures in our bodies that transmit information. Somehow they transmit this energy of we are safe or we are not safe, or we should do this or we should not do this. It's just pretty neat. It's pretty neat when you really think about what's happening in your body. So I did want to mention. We have other parasympathetic and sympathetic nerves that innervate our clitoris and other pelvic structures that are not the vagus nerve. However, activating the vagus nerve will lead to an enhanced parasympathetic nervous system response, right? So that'll be helpful for other pelvic structures too, including potentially our clitoris, which is of course like our organ of incredible pleasure and arousal and certainly has a lot to do with our experience of arousal. And speaking of arousal, there was a study that was done actually uh, with some folks who had complete spinal cord injuries, and they were, they showed that the vagus nerve was able to bypass the spinal cord nerves when the cervix and vagina were stimulated, and that led to orgasm, which led to oxytocin being released, which was in the brain. So it made it clear how connected the vagus nerve is really to our pleasure and to our potential for orgasms because these folks did not have other nerves going into their pelvic area and they were able to experience well they had them but they weren't active because of the spinal cord injury so it really showed that the vagus nerve specifically has some relationship to our experience of orgasm because when oxytocin is released in the brain that's an an example of when we are actually feeling the stimulation, that warm and fuzzy feeling, you know, that feeling of like bondedness, all of those experiences that we can have when we're in a state of arousal or pleasure. So basically, all this is telling us that the vagus nerve and other parasympathetic nerves are integral to both our pelvic organ health and function, as well as our arousal and our orgasms and our pleasure. So on the topic of pleasure, again, one study that I was reading looked at sexually functional versus sexually dysfunctional people and measured their vagal tone by looking at the heart rate variability, like I mentioned before, how to do that, both at rest and then when they were sexually stimulated. So low heart rate variability at rest which, like I mentioned before, basically is saying that you're in more of a sympathetic state, you're in less of a parasympathetic state, or at least your your vagal tone is not as good when it's at rest. So low heart rate variability at rest was associated with sexual arousal dysfunction. And this was seen in the study. And then what's interesting is that when we're becoming aroused, so this is, this is one of the areas where we do want some sympathetic nervous system response when we're becoming aroused and engorged and we're moving towards orgasm we actually need sympathetic activation to begin to dominate and the vagal tone to decrease meaning we want more sympathetic activity and we want less parasympathetic parasympathetic activity and what was found was that those with sexual dysfunction people who that was self proclaimed actually experienced increased vagal tone when they were sexually stimulated. So what does this mean? This means that they actually were experiencing higher heart rate variability, meaning they were going into a more parasympathetic state, or maybe they were going into more of that vagal response. Maybe it was more of a vasovagal response. We don't really know. But they were going into more of that state when they were sexually stimulated which is the opposite of what happened with the sexually functional people who actually decreased the vagal tone at that time. Their heart rate variability actually decreased. They were actually experiencing more of that sympathetic response because you really want, like, when you're coming towards that orgasm, you kind of need both happening, but you really want that energy and that, like, presence and that kind of buildup, right? So that buildup of the heart rate and the healthy kind of pulsing energy that's happening there. So I know that's a little bit complicated to think through, but the gist is that the people who proclaim themselves as sexually functional, meaning that they can access arousal and orgasm with ease and feel engorged and all of these things, were experiencing more of a sympathetic nervous system response when they were coming towards climax, right? And those who were dysfunctional, self-proclaimed, we're experiencing more of a parasympathetic response that may, if you think back to what we talked about before, that may have some excess vagal response. I mean, who knows? Maybe there's some kind of trauma there. Obviously, not everyone has trauma experiences who have a hard time reaching climax or arousal, but there's a possibility there. Or maybe the body is just responding in that way with more of this like hyper vagal response like somehow dissociating or somehow feigning death right in quotes that concept who knows but it's an interesting finding in this study it's only one study it was only a couple dozen people or maybe a little bit more than that it's not actually something that we can kind of extrapolate out into every single person but it's something to consider and it's also a good example of how we don't want just that vagal response we don't want only vagal tone <laughs> like we definitely want some sympathetic nervous system response as well to enhance our pleasure and our arousal which is what this is all about that said there are a lot of reasons including getting into the mood and feeling even libido and desire that we need to enhance our vagal tone and need to enhance our parasympathetic response right so it's both and a thousand percent it is both and 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 so we're going to talk now a little bit about how you can enhance your bagel tone in the ways that are most beneficial for you. Like they'll help you to feel relaxed and they'll help you to digest your food better, but they're not going to have you unable to hold in (laughs) your poop, right? We want to make sure that we're doing this in a good way. So... It all starts with cues of safety. So actually activating our vagus nerve is all about encouraging a sense of safety in our bodies. So what are the ways that you can do that? Now, specifically, because like Stephen Porges said, there's kind of this area of our vagal nerve that is most beneficial for us in terms of activating a healthy parasympathetic response. One of those things is in our middle ear, and so that's actually like through hearing. And so the intonation of voices that are actually kind of soft or low-volume, higher-frequency voices help us to feel safer. And they're kind of – they might be rhythmic in certain ways – Kind of if you think about how you might talk to your dog or to a child, if when you're in a good mood with the child or, you know, when you're feeling really sweet with somebody, if you're like with a partner or a new partner and you're feeling kind of sweet with them and you kind of have, you know, whatever that kind of intonation is that's like soft and not threatening at all and really safe feeling, that is something that can help us feel safer and that can help encourage more enhanced vagal response, which is pretty cool. Of course, that could be something that comes through the form of music. So maybe there's some music that enhances. I'm not sure specifically what that music is. I'm sure you can look some stuff up because I'm sure some people have studied that in terms of enhancing vagal response. But I'm just going to think, you know, it's going to be stuff that's kind of uplifting, that's like, you know, lower volume, that is higher pitched, that just feels really soothing to you. And it might be just gentle music. I also think like, I actually talked about it in the email that I sent to my list about this episode, but the concept of bird song, like going outside and being in nature and just like listening to bird song, especially when it's like that pleasant bird song, when they're not just fighting with each other, but it's that pleasant bird song. It's almost melodic, that kind of melodic, really sweet expression between the birds. I think probably just being in nature is helpful too. Okay. Second option is ingestion. So it's really interesting to think about that, like sucking, like you would suck your thumb when you're young. But, you know, like that sucking response or chewing gum, both of those things can be part of this. But also ingesting and swallowing which is actually one of the reasons possibly that eating food sometimes may help us to calm down when we're stressed. You know, some people will stress eat and it might part of the response that you're having might not just be your addiction to sugar or to different foods, but it actually might be calming your nervous system through that literal swallowing in your throat. Singing, another one is singing or chanting. Or playing wind instruments. So anytime you're singing, using your voice for a long time, you might be exhaling for a longer period of time than normal. So longer, slower exhales can be really helpful. And just chanting in general and playing wind instruments. And then another one is gargling. So actually gargling, (laughs) whether that's water or whatever you want to (laughs) gargle, you can gargle and that actually can activate vagal tone. Also the gag reflex. This is a funny one, right? It's not like you're going to try to make yourself throw up, but actually if you just stimulate your soft palate at the, you know, on the top of your mouth at the back near your uvula, if you use say your toothbrush or something and you just push it back there and you feel a little of that gag reflex, that's actually will stimulate your vagus nerve and enhance your vagal tone. And just stimulating that soft palate in general, I've heard like there's at least one yoga teacher that I've heard talking about when you're kind of sitting, you can kind of put your tongue up towards your soft palate and that might be enhancing your vagal tone a little bit. Another way to work with this kind of good area of your vagal nerve is through breathing practices, like deep, slow breathing practices, like I was talking about before. But specific ones can be incredibly helpful, especially when you... Your exhales are longer than your inhales. So there are different practices called pranayama, which is kind of a yogic term. It's common in many yogic lineages where they teach specific practices where you over time build up to you might be holding your breath for periods of time. You might be inhaling, like let's say to four counts and then exhaling to eight counts. There's probably one of the simplest ones that you could look up a YouTube video for is called alternate nostril breathing. And that's a nice one to kind of bring both sides, both sides of energy of our bodies together, the receptive and kind of the expressive sides. So, kind of to bring the two of those together and to also be doing this kind of controlled breathing practice. That can be a nice one. And probably the most simple and honestly, maybe one of the most effective is just deep belly breathing. So, if you're laying down on your back, and you have one hand on your belly, like near your navel, and you have one hand on your chest, like near your heart, and you breathe, you inhale. Notice whether you, your chest is rising or your belly is rising. And so, belly breathing is when your chest basically stays in exactly the same position and your belly is expanding. And then your belly will release. And then your belly will expand again. So that deeper belly breathing when you're laying down is a really lovely way to calm your nervous system and to enhance your vagal response, your vagal tone. Another thing that's cool about it, if you remember or listened to the diastasis recti episode, the episode about healing diastasis, if that's something that you've experienced, you might want to go back and listen to it if you haven't yet. She was talking about the importance of these deep breathing where you're you're breathing into your belly, but you're also expanding your rib, rib cage. But then on your exhale, you're kind of feeling this kind of activation of some of your pelvic muscles. And so it's an interesting experience when you're inhaling and you're really expanding and you're exhaling. You're really feeling that deep belly breathing and you're exhaling, but you're also expanding down into your viscera in a way that is enhancing the vagal tone response even more, right? So it's not just through your airways up top, but it's really through that entire abdominal cavity. And it can help with your pelvic floor. It can help with softening your pelvic floor. It can help with healing diastasis recti because it because it has to do with that pressure. That's not something I'm an expert in, but learning about that over time has been really interesting and I feel like is something a lot of us should know. So when we think about, so we can, this is like, what is it called? Feeding two birds with one seed, right? (laughs) We are supporting our vagal tone and we're also potentially supporting our pelvic floor integrity and our softening. And we're also maybe healing our abdominal muscles. Like there's so much great stuff that we can do just with breathing, just with breathing. It's so incredible. Okay, so deep belly breathing is important. Another thing that's cool about some of the pranayama is that it actually helps to stimulate our face. And according to Stephen Porges, he talks about how the stimulation of some of the muscles of our face, like we might do if we're playing a wind instrument, but like we also might do if we're chanting or we also might do if we're kind of like blowing bubbles or we also might do if we are doing some pranayama, will stimulate some muscles in our face and that helps to enhance our vagal tone as well. Very cool stuff. Okay, Next thing you can do to enhance your vagal tone is social interaction. I know some of us don't feel good about social interaction, but it has to be a social interaction that feels good, that feels welcome, that feels desirable. I'm not just talking about like throwing yourself into some awkward party situation where you just feel very odd and like you don't want to be there. (laughs) I'm talking about connecting with people that you genuinely are interested in or you generally have a connection to or a relationship with that you like to be around and spending time in person with those people. We evolved, I know I've talked about this before, but we evolved to be in community. We evolved to be around others and to give and receive in every way, right? So reciprocity in every way with touch, with presence, with connection, with like facial cues and actually like sharing with each other, sharing space, sharing time, you know, sharing experiences, helping each other out. I mean, like all of that, there's something that's you can't, you can get a little of it through social media. You can get a little of it through Zoom. Like I'm not saying you can't get any of it, but there's something different about in-person connection and we need it. And that kind of in-person connection helps us to feel safe. That kind of in-person connection where we are weaving a web of support in our lives helps us to feel more safe. And that is going to help us be able to relax more deeply, right? When we know that we have this web of support around us, whether that's somebody that we're spending time with regularly or just occasionally. And it might even be hanging out with your dog or your pet of some kind, That might be that kind of interaction. If it's less comfortable for you to be around an actual human, hopefully there's some humans that you can be cultivating a web of support with, but for sure, at the very least, having some kind of animals that you can connect with. So you have that kind of mammal to mammal connection space where you can initiate play and you can experience pleasure together, like whatever that looks like. Feeling social safety is really important, actually, for our vagal response and as humans (laughs) just to really live our lives most optimally then, of course, gentle yoga practices. So I'm not talking like the hardcore, you're doing this like aerobic yoga experience, but gentle yoga practices where there's mindfulness and there's presence and there's breathing involved. Those can be helpful. Meditation practices can be helpful. Listening to the waves. I talked a little about nature connection before and bird song, but also you might go to the ocean and you might listen to the waves that might be helpful for you, especially if it's not too stormy of a day. <laughs> and then one thing I really wanted to talk about is that tragus stimulation. So what is the tragus? Um, the part of your ear. So all of us have this. There's a part of your ear that maybe some of you have heard of because it's a, there's piercings. People pierce their tragus. But it's that kind of like cartilage part of your ear that is actually, it's not your lobe. It's not It's not like your actual ear that you touch. It's kind of the – it's before you're entering into your ear canal, there is that piece of cartilage that almost kind of covers it that's coming out from the front of your face. If you were to kind of head back from your cheek to your ear, you can feel that cartilage that's kind of protecting your ear canal, your auditory canal. That place, the tragus, is actually a place that is amazing for vagal nerve toning. Like, who knew? But there was a study that I read that talked about how 30 minutes of stimulation this was an acupuncture study, and they did compare it with earlobe stimulation. So, the difference between earlobe stimulation, which basically did nothing, and tragus stimulation for 30 minutes actually showed that both there was an enhancement to genital stimulation. And also helped to release oxytocin. So, actually, just stimulating the tragus for a period of time can enhance our pleasure. That is freaking interesting, right? And specifically, it does this through encouraging enhanced bagel tone. Our bodies are just so cool. All right, so what about cold water plunges, right? I know you, I don't know if you've been waiting the entire episode to hear about this, but I think it's interesting. It's an interesting thing. It's a really, really popular practice right now, and people talk about it as being really helpful for toning the vagus nerve, which is somewhat true. But what about them? The ice swims and the ice baths. So the cold water, when you dramatically enter into cold water, whether that is getting into a pool of water or the ocean or that is a cold shower, whatever way that you're doing it, actually recruits the part of the vagus nerve that is not as ideal for us to be working with. It's that part of our bodies that is potentially feigning death, right? It is. There's a way that the heart rate can drop too fast too quickly. So it's important for you to monitor your heart rate, especially if you have a lower heart rate to begin with, a lower resting heart rate. So you really want to make sure, especially... If you're experiencing this or exploring this, that your heart rate is staying at a good place, that it is safe for you and, you know, to recognize that this may or may not (laughs) be the best option for you to be toning your vagus nerve. There are so, so many other options. That's not to say you can't do it. It's just something to consider and that I don't know, I don't know if that's talked about a lot. I don't know if it's talked about a lot. So, and there are some people who have more, you know, risks of cardiac conditions. So do you really want to lower your heart rate that quickly? So definitely paying attention to that. Other options may be gentler and maybe more beneficial even. <laughs> all right. So now that we've explored all of those ways that you can start to enhance your vagal tone, let's talk about getting into the pleasure and the orgasms and bringing it all together, right? So we've talked about the anatomy. We've talked about how the vagus nerve innervates our pelvic organs and including our cervix and our uterus and our ovaries. And we've also talked all about how to enhance the vagal tone and especially the good areas, right? That include the throat and deep breathing and vocalization. So one thing that is very true is that we can access longer, stronger orgasms, multiple orgasms, deeper climaxing, potentially ejaculation. We can experience all of that even more fully when we incorporate our breathing, especially deep breathing, we're breathing into our pelvis and vocalization. So whatever that feels like for you, but you know, it might be toning, it might be these like kind of moans, it might be whatever that sound that comes out for you, but really encouraging your throat, like really working the throat in that open way. So I always talked about this too, like in birth experiences, right? Cause kind of same same when we're talking about birth and the birthing process being in labor, it's very much that kind of deep toning when the throat is open. Basically, our pussies are open. Basically, like we're feeling more open. We're able to connect more deeply and fully with our pelvic area. It is just a reality. And this potentially the vagus nerve is part of how that happens, which is really cool to think about it. But I know for myself and I know for many other people, vocalization, allowing ourselves to be wild and free and Deeper breathing and rhythmic breathing, long exhalations, really feeling into our bodies fully can enhance our pleasure a thousandfold, like really a thousandfold. And I just love to think about that. I feel like this entire episode has all been building up to this reality that we have capacity to work on the more that we work on our vagal tone throughout our lives, the better that we'll be able to access some of those elements, right, during our orgasmic experience when we're also experiencing that sympathetic response because we want both of them. We definitely want both of them, but how can we work with all of it together? How can we intentionally bring out the parts of the vagal response that are really helpful for us to achieve better orgasms and higher levels of embodied pleasure? Okay, and before we go, I do want to talk about ways to measure your vagal tone like I talked about the heart rate variability and I explained that right so you're looking at whether your heart rate is absolutely consistent just sitting there at 76 over and over again or if it's kind of moving around and what some of the best ways are actually using wearables so wearable devices that are just following your heart rate throughout the day and one that you can use the aura ring is one that you can use that's not cheap but you can use, I don't have it, but I've heard great things about it. You can use it and you can put it on airplane mode. So you're not getting like the EMFs from it, Bluetoothing and you can take it off. And then when you have it off, you can transfer the information to your device. And same with other wearable devices. Another one that I've heard is really, really accurate for heart rate variability is called the Garmin Vivo Smart 4. Garmin Vivo Smart 4 and the Aura Ring, those are two that I've heard from a teacher of mine who is really into heart rate variability, that they are really the most accurate ones out there. And I think the Garmin Vivo Smart 4 is fairly affordable, so it's an option for sure. All right, well, now it is time for you to try these things, to explore them on your own. And of course, if there's anything that you want more information on, you can absolutely research it yourself. I highly encourage that. But most of this is just very safe stuff to start exploring deeper breathing, toning, chanting, you know, gargling, (laughs) things that are really helpful for you to enhance your bagel tone and explore the pleasure practices. Like explore utilizing your tone of your voice, utilizing your vocalizations, utilizing your breathing in relation to your orgasms. Try it. Try it. I cannot wait to hear how it goes for you. And of course, you don't have to share. I know that's kind of private stuff. You don't just share that directly with me. But I just I'm excited for you to have some of this information. And and even if you had some of it, I'm excited for you to have some of the kind of weaving the pieces together and understanding how the vagal toning might relate to your pleasure experience and how we actually do need some sympathetic response at the same time as we need our vagal tone to be good. And that there may be some risks involved with bagel toning, right, with the cold water plunging. So all of that, I hope this has been helpful for you. If you feel like there is anyone in your life who would benefit from hearing this episode, then share it with them. Please do. You can share it in a DM or a text message. And if you want to share on social media publicly, you can tag me at Herbal Womb Wisdom. I would love to hear actually what you got out of this episode like what was a gem or a highlight of what you got out of this episode whether you want to share that with me in a DM or you want to share that it, it could be a response to an email that I've sent out or it can be publicly on social media putting it into your story and tagging me and letting me know what you got out of it I would love to see that we should share this information with people right the more we have access to knowledge about how to enhance our pleasure the better we are all going to be <laughs> I believe on this planet. So here's to more pleasure for all of us. And if you want the show notes or again to check out the research, you can check those out at herbalwomb.com forward slash episode 64. And gosh, that is all for today. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for hanging out with me again this week. And I just look forward to next time. Until then, live well, connect deeply and have a beautiful rest of your day.